0: not. Hey, can we say thank you to Chris House this, as our new Creative Arts Director here at City Life. This was his first night really leading the whole set, and we were excited f- more than for the talent that he is, but for the heart that he has, for the heart that he has. And I know that you got a glimpse of that tonight, and we are excited about him being a part of this team and going on this journey with us. His mother is here tonight with us visiting, so it's good to have you here, ma'am. So we just pray blessings on your church, and thank you for sharing your Saturday night with us. So, it's good. Well, I've, we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. I, I know I said that last week, and we never got into it, so... So uh, we're, I think we're going to get into it some. We're not going to get into it all the way. As we were this week again, as we we're you know, reading through the Bible in a year, we, we pick a plan that, that, that we tackle, and I hope that you're on that with us. Even if you're not, jump in now. We're doing the chronological plan. You can get it on BibleGateway.com and finish out your year strong. And, uh, and so as I was reading this week, some things really jumped out at me, and I just want to share a couple of those. And then I think we're going to probably get some way into this message tonight in Acts chapter 2 that we're probably going to do over the next next few weeks. But uh, this is out of Matthew 20. There's there's lots of renderings of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Gospels. And so I'm talking a little bit out of Matthew 26. I'm not going to read it all, but but in 40 through 45, and then again in 50 through 53, we're given a couple of of details. And and, and one of this details that we're given is that Jesus makes the statement when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, it's time for me to be betrayed into their hands. And as I read that, the thought that I had was that he had to give himself into their hands so that he would have an opportunity to heal their hearts. And and so I felt like there was going to be somebody here tonight that you're frustrated with God because there are people around you that irritate you. Or or maybe there are people that are are about to be around you with the holidays coming that irritates you. You with me? Thanksgiving, Christmas, people, right? We all have family. Everybody has family dynamics. That's, that's, that's a euphemism, right? It just, it sounds a lot nicer. And, and, and so this is what I felt like God wanted to, to, to say to you tonight. If, and, and to say to me, I'm preaching to myself. If you're not close enough to be bothered by the people that you don't like, then you're not close enough to make a difference in their life. If you're not close enough to be bothered by the people that you don't like, especially if you're married to them, <laughs> then, then you're not close enough to make a difference in their life. And, and, and so for, for, I might be for more than one person here tonight, you've been having a conversation with God about how irritated you are with this person or these people. And I think what God wants to say to you is that he's not taking them out of your life because they're in your life because of the impact you're supposed to have on them. And that doesn't mean that you step into their life with a sense of arrogance, that you've got all the answers. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you don't get along. I don't know, right? But there's a humility that you can bring to those moments that the Holy Spirit will help you navigate, where you can begin to love them, where you can begin to serve them. The Bible talks about how a kind response you know, to something unkind does to you is like keeping burning coals on their head. We've taught on this before, and, and, and that's misunderstood so often because people think that means it really gets to them, Right? That it's like putting heaping coals on their head. So now all of a sudden, your motivation for being kind to them is to harm them right? which is But really, that's, that's pointing back to something in the Old Testament where when Isaiah was called, there was a coal that was taken from the altars of heaven that was put on him to purify him. And so this, this, this picture that Paul's pulling, this it heaps burning coals on their head is pointing back to this idea that the, it brings heaven into their life to bring healing to who they are. Does that make sense? And so I just want, if that's you, that whoever those people are or that person is, that you're going to change your prayer. That you're going to start praying that God is going to get them out of your life. That you're going to start praying, God, help me to know how to make a difference in their life. All right? All right, this is the next one. This is the next one I want to share. That that there is a part in the in the story in a couple of different gospels where 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 Jesus keeps coming back to the disciples. He's off by himself praying and and right he's left some of the disciples and then he takes Peter James and John and they, he takes them a little bit further but he leaves them and then he goes back into by himself and every time he comes out the Peter James and John what are they doing? Yes, they're sleeping, and 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 he says to them a statement. Anybody? What's the statement he says to them? The the spirit is willing but the the flesh is weak. And, and I, I find that an interesting statement because really what he's saying is the flesh is strong. You with, does that make sense? He, because we think the, the, the flesh is weak, but really what he's saying is the flesh is weak to the things of the Spirit of God. What he's saying is that your flesh is stronger than it's supposed to be because it's taking you in a direction that you're not supposed to go in. This idea that your flesh is weak, it it means that it's not in tune with what God's trying to do in you. And so this is what I I felt like I was supposed to say to some of you here, that maybe you're you're stuck in a pattern of sin or maybe that you're stuck in a place where you frustrate yourself because you find yourself doing the things that you're not supposed to do and not doing the things that that you should. And uh, and this is what I felt like God spoke to me to, to highlight. In our services, we ask you to respond in lots of different ways. We ask you to come forward. There might be times where, where you might, might, might feel a, a, a prompting to kneel or we might ask you to kneel. There might be the time where the worship leader asks you to move to the left and move to the right. And, 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 and if you don't have rhythm like me, you're just going in whichever direction you can just to try to keep up, right? But, but what you're going to find is even though you might feel awkward and even though I might feel awkward at times, I'm going to participate in those moments. Because I believe one of the reasons why God asks us to do things with our physical bodies It teaches our physical body to learn that it's supposed to be submitted to the eternal part of who we are. that our our temporal is supposed to be submitted to our our eternal. And we find ourselves in Garden of Gethsemane moments where the the flesh is weak, but really it's strong, and the spirit is willing, but it's really weak. It's, It's because we've not learned to have dominion over ourselves. We've not taught our bodies that you exist to serve me. I don't exist to serve you, whether it's a sexual appetite or whether it's a food appetite or, or, or whether it's an emotional appetite, whatever your appetite is that is out of control, I'm telling you there is a biblical principle. As you begin to practice responding to God with a physical presence, you're training your body to come under submission to the eternal part of who you are that's under the submission of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All right, okay. All right, I got one more, one more, one more. All right, we talk about this one a lot here at the City Life Church because we have three groups of people that that we want to reach. We want to reach the undevoted. We want to reach people that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ, like the young lady that was visiting last week. Come on, that was a powerful moment in our service together. We want to reach the disconnected. I want to talk about that just for a second. The the idea of people that have made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to them, but they've lost their sense of passion and expectation to be a part of spiritual community. Then the third one is the disciple. And so, so I'm just throwing that in for free so the the but the the disconnected we talk about this text a lot here at the city life church when peter cuts off malchus's ear right so they have a sword they come to arrest jesus he draws his sword he's a fisherman right so he's casting the sword he's not so great which was good for malchus and it's a glancing blow it cuts his ear off and we believe that that's a prophetic picture of the church that Peter is a prophetic picture for the church that Jesus is establishing and that sometimes the church hurts the person that it's supposed to heal. And in that moment, right, Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, that's not what we're about. And and Jesus picks up his ear and he heals Malchus. Now, what you did not find Malchus do is pick up his own ear and run away. He, He chose to step into that moment and to be ministered to and to be cared for by the Son of the living God. And sometimes we get hurt by the church, right? We're, we're walking around, our ears have been cut off because somebody betrayed us or somebody disappointed us. or it, You might have a legitimate reason. Does that make sense? Malchus had a real reason to bleed that day, right? It, it wasn't manufactured. It was real stuff. It was real hurt. And you might have every justification and reason for, for why ever you're offended why ever you're hurt because of what's happened in your past. But at some point, you've got to choose to come to Christ let him heal you. Let him bring restoration to your life. And I'm telling you, part of your restoration is going to reconnect you to a family of God somewhere. If you're visiting tonight and that's your story, if it's not here, if you don't resonate with what's happening here, then we, we want to connect you somewhere. But don't live your life as a spiritual orphan. So, so Father, we just say to you tonight, have your way. We, we, we say to you tonight, oh God, that, 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 that whoever is in this room tonight that needed to hear those things, who's frustrated by someone, who's irritated by someone, oh, that you would do a work in them so that they could go do a work amongst the people, Father, that are bothersome, that they would be a light to this world, they would be salt of the earth that you've called them to be. Father, we, we, we lift up the person that's been hurt by the church in the past, that there's going to be healing. To, even tonight, God, even now as we pray that there is restoration, that even now as we pray that they would feel Jesus, your hand, touching them just as real it was, as it was for Malchus in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and, and Father, we, 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 we pray tonight for the person who struggles. We pray tonight for the person that's stuck in a pattern of sin we we pray tonight father for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak that they in this moment would stand up into a new place of authority over themselves and that your holy spirit would be the most dominant influencer of their will in jesus' name come on and everybody said together amen amen well if you've got your bible you can turn to acts chapter 2 we're going to get there And uh, let me just do a little bit of just some brief recap. We've been doing our life groups in the book that we've been reading by Mark Batterson, A Circle Maker. It's an amazing book. If you're visiting tonight and you've not had a chance to read that, if you've not read it before, we would encourage you to pick it up. It's just a great, great, it's really an autobiographical sketch of his journey as a person of prayer. And so it's just, it's been an amazing experience for our church. And so we've locked into this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5 17, where Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, he says, uh, Pray without ceasing. so we've been talking a little bit about what that means. It, I, I'm not so sure that it's supposed to mean that it's an ongoing conversation with God that never stops as much as it is that it's something that we just keep coming back to, that we never check it off our list. Oh, I've prayed, I'm done, I'm moving on to the next thing. That prayer is supposed to be something that we keep coming back to all the days of our life and our great hope that through this series that we're going to pray more, the volume of prayer, not just as by way of a decibel level, but the amount of prayer that comes out of our life is going to grow. And so the, the series, you know, sometimes our series is a how-to. And those are important series, right? But this series has really been about a what is. It's talking about what, what is prayer. And, and, and we could be do that for the rest of the, the year. So we focused in on some specific things. And I think the what is sermon series is so important for us at times because if you never connect with the what is and you step into the how to, you find yourself you're just going through the motions without the meaning. And we want to be a church that helps you connect to the meaning so that when you enter into the motion, that it's going to be more fruitful and meaningful in your life. So we've talked about a person that prays has to have a heart that loves, a heart that commands, a heart that believes. And then we spent some time talking about this idea that praying is more about seeing than it is about speaking. And that's on our podcasts if you're interested in any of those. And so to, But to get us moving in the direction that we're going to go in tonight, I have to tell a story about my wife that I love. This is one of my all-time favorite stories. I really have two top two stories for Vanessa. She didn't know that I was going to share this, so I'm going to get in trouble. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for you and, and for me at some point. So, so if, if I'm knocking on your door later, let me in. Let me in. So... <clears throat> So so several years ago, we, we, we made a decision, we're, we're going to go to Myrtle Beach, and, and, and if you go the week after spring break, they have ridiculous deals, because everybody goes on spring break. So the week after spring break in Myrtle Beach, it's, it's a ghost town. So all the rates plummet, and so we said, we're going to take advantage of that. So our kids were little, I don't even remember how old they were. They were, I mean, just itty-bitty little strollers, carrying them, you know, the backpacks, all that kind of stuff. And so we're jammed into this hotel room for, for this week, and so we said, let's, you know, we we're, we're Active vacationer sometimes, and, and so we said let's we're, we're going to fill our, our time with these events. And so we went to Alligator Adventure in North Myrtle Beach. Anybody ever been to Alligator Adventure in North Myrtle Beach? No, just all right, I see a couple of hands, see a couple of hands. So so we get there, we're all excited, and we really there's hardly nobody else there. And we come through the gate, and as soon as we come through the gate, there's a fenced in area. The upper right hand picture, you see that? That was there, and and we were standing outside of it, but we were there by ourselves, and there was no work. Inside, and this is Utan. He is the largest crocodile in captivity in America. He's over 18 feet long and he's over 2,000 pounds, right? So, we didn't know all of this information at the time, and uh, which is why this story is so funny. And so, Utan was up against the fence, like pressed up, laying right against it, stretched out. And so, we come in, and Vanessa says, Look, there's a statue of an alligator right here at the gate. Oh yes, you know exactly where the story's going, right? And I said, "Hunt, honey, I, I don't, I don't, I think that might be real." No, 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 it's not real, right? It's not moving. It's just stoic. It's just sitting there. And so Vanessa walks over, and so we're having this conversation, right? Honey, I think that's a real crocodile. No, 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 no. It's just here. It's at the gate. You know, the real, the real stuff's further in. They just put this here to 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 excite you. And then guess what she does? right? There is a blessing to having big hands, right? Which means you can't fit them through the fences that you're not supposed to. I kid, I kid you not. This is a true story. I'm, sometimes I embellish, I'm not embellishing tonight, right? She sticks her hand through the fence. You see it right there, right? Through the fence and is poking Utan. Poking. And this is what she's doing. I told you he's not real, right? If you know Vanessa, she would never, right, gloat or anything like that, right? I told you. And I I kid you not. I kid you not. I remember Ethan. I can see his face now. He was, I don't know, he's just a couple of years old. He's already got a butterfly Band-Aid on his chin because we were in the hotel for maybe 30 minutes, and he fell and opened up his chin on the tub. And I'm like, I'm not going to the ER. Give me the butterfly Band-Aid. So I push the skin together, Right. And so you can, right, as fathers, right, you just yeah, yeah, sealed him up. He's there. He's got this big butterfly Band-Aid, and he's looking up at me. He's not saying anything, but I know what he's doing. Dad, can I put my hand through the fence? And I looked down at Ethan, and I went. Right? So we continue on the tour. Vanessa, she still has both of her hands, right? She, she pulls her hand. We get later into the tour. We go to a show. Person's got the headset on and telling us all these fun facts. And, 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 and so then the, the person says, How many people saw Utan on the way in? We're looking at each other. And so she, she goes to describe where Utan is in the park and, and what Utan is. He's over 2,000 pounds, over 18 feet long, and he's the largest crocodile in captivity. And as we're sitting there, right, I just get this great grin on my face because I'd love to be right. I don't know about you, but it's very fulfilling to me. And I looked over at Vanessa, and all of the color was leaving her face, right? It was quite pale. And so we, 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 we have this ongoing conversation now, right? We're in this place of who's right and who's wrong. I'll just say, remember the crocodile, right? <laughs> remember the crocodile. So, so why am I telling you that story? Because many of us, we read the Bible that way. This is how we read the Bible. Is it real? Is it, is it real? And some of you are poking at it, hoping that it is. And some of you are poking at it because you're afraid that it might be. Because of what it will then ask of you. So, so we just got back from, from, from Origins, this youth conference that the House of Prayer puts on every year, that we have such a great relationship with that church, love that church, and if you know anybody that lives in the Chester, Chesterfield, Southside area, it's just in a great congregation of people there that are so impassioned for God, and, and uh, Andrew Damasio from the West Coast, they brought him in to preach and share, and he oversees a, a huge youth ministry called, I think it's Generation Unleashed, I think is the name of it, and so he's ta- talking about how just kids are coming to Christ just by the by the, by the the crowd every week. And, uh, and there's just something happening. There's a revival taking place, if you want to use that word. And he said, I love kids that come to Christ who have no biblical training whatsoever, who open up the Bible and just automatically assume that everything that they see and poke at is real. He said, so I was having a conversation with one of the youth that just recently made a vow of devotion to Christ the other day, and and he said to me, yeah, I was trying to heal my teacher with my shadow the other day, but I I don't know if I'm not doing it right, but it's not working. So I I was paying attention to where the sun was, and I'm in class, and I'm waiting to, and I knew if it would get to the right place, I could turn a certain way, and my shadow would move across the teacher. And so he's not making a joke, right? This This kid's coming to him and asking, how do, am I supposed to do that? so it works, right? And if you're familiar with the story the Bible talks about, the early apostles in the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, you should read that, the whole book. Read it tonight. Come on, it's worth reading. Stay up for it. That Their shadow would pass over people, and whatever infirmity they were suffering from, they would be healed. And so here's this teenager reading this story in the Bible, poking at it. And you know what they're saying? I hope this works. I hope this is real. God's going to do great things in that young, people's, in that young person's life. Are you with me? That there's supposed to be something inside of us when we open up God's word that we say, Oh God, may it be that this would be real. Not that it was real then, but it's going to be real in our lifetime, in our present, in our day, in our time. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, now this detail is important to us because there are many feasts that are part of the Jewish tradition. Jesus was crucified during the Feast of Passover, Pentecost is the feast that comes 50 days. Penta means 50. It's the feast that comes exactly 50 days after the feast of Passover. Now we know from studying the Bible that that Jesus appeared post-resurrection experiences for 40 days. There was about 40 days of Jesus appearing. And so finally he ascended into heaven and he sent the the, the 120 that were the core. They end up in the place called the upper room. And so if they're on the feast, East of Pentecost, then we know that they've been in there for 10 days because he appeared for 40. And Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover, so they've been in this place praying and worshiping and teaching and interceding and lingering for almost two weeks. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. We're going to talk about this word together over the next few weeks. It's in a key word that's used. It doesn't just mean that they were together in a place geographically. It's a big word in the Greek. It also means that they were together of one heart and of one mind. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Some of you are poking this right now. Are you with me? Is it real? And everyone present was filled. With the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, at the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Some of them were permanent residents, but it also means that they were living there, that they would travel there, they would live there for a time to celebrate a certain number of feasts before they would go back to their homes. So, some were permanent residents, but there were also just lots of people there that had been there for Passover. They would say through Pentecost and then they would go back to their homes. It says, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And we're going to talk about this over these next few weeks, the word devout. The word together is an important word in the text, and the word devout is an important word in the text. They were completely amazed, how can this be, they exclaimed, these people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus in the province of Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the other areas of Libya around Cyrene visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this, come on, they're poking at it, right? Is it real? What can this mean? They asked each other. Now listen to what it says in verse 13. But others in the crowd. There's a great juxtaposition here, a contrasting of the devout and the others in the crowd. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I talk a little bit about my, my journey, and I've been around a lot of intoxicated people in my day. I can just tell you I have never mistaken a drunken person to be educated beyond their intelligence or more articulate than they were when they're sober. So I just I, I think there's some humor there in, 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 in the Bible. They're, they're drunk, that's all it, it says. And so, all right. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what happens when we step into moments of being together in prayer, reaching through the fence and saying, this is real. We have a this is real faith at the City Life Church. When we open up God's word, we have a belief that it was real for then, and it wasn't given to us to tease us and taunt us about what will never happen for us because we didn't live in the right century. It's given to us to stir an appetite inside of us to believe for it today. We have a this is real stuff, especially when we read in Acts chapter two. This is what we're gonna be going into together, talking about the Holy Spirit as part of this prayer series that that it's real, it was real for them, and it's gonna be real for us. I believe, I'm sold out to the belief that there is a causal relationship between the fact that they were together and that they were in a place of prayer when all of this happened. It's not to discount and displace the sovereignty of God, but I think oftentimes God sovereignly moves at certain times to affirm what we're doing to help us understand that there's a connection between the two. So we're we're going to hit a few of these. I don't know how far we're going to get into them tonight, but but the but, but we'll we'll pick it up next week. But the first one is this. Together prayer awakens the devout to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Together prayer awakens the devout to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, there, this word for prayer is an important word too. The language of the Bible is instructive to us. It helps. It gives us great meaning. And so, in the King James Bible, the New Living Translation, which we read out of it, it when you go back into Acts one, I think it's from verse twelve through fourteen, somewhere around there, it talks about that they were in a place of prayer. That detail is given to us. And the, and the King James, I think, renders it a little bit better. It says that they were in a place of prayer and supplication. And the Apostle Paul makes the same distinction when he writes his letter to the church of Philippi when he says. Be careful for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your request be known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding and keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And this distinction is given to us because supplication has a, 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 there's a specificity to that. It means that you're asking someone who has the ability to do something on your behalf for a benefit. You have a need, you've gone to a person that you recognize as being able to meet that need, and you're asking them for something. That's supplication. Prayer is a much broader stroke word. This word in the Greek for prayer is a much broader stroke. It can mean declarations to God. It could mean asking something. It could be making a vow. But it's just this idea of stepping into a moment of expression. So we believe that worship for us as a church, you could just call it prayer if you want to. We're declaring things about God. We're, we're stepping into those moments of making vows to him. I hope you're doing all of that when you're All of those words that are on the screen are just given to you that you can borrow them to connect them with feelings that you actually have in your heart. And, and so you call it worship, you call it prayer, whatever you want to call it. It's stepping into this where we're encountering God and we're just beginning to make declarations before our creator in the presence of our father. Now, let's drill down on this word devout, because I think this is an an important moment. The word devout here in Acts chapter 2, in in the Greek, it's it's created by putting two words together, as as most languages are. They pulled this word and that word, they put them together, and it has a meaning. And this word eu means carefully, and then the word e-l-a-b-o-n means to take, and so when you put those two words together, it, it means to take something carefully, or it means to be devoted to something, we, right? We understand this concept. If, if, if you're married, you understand that, you're, that there's a sacredness to that. You, you're taking this on carefully. When you have children, you're taking it on carefully. We understand this concept in, in society. I, I remember when, when Clem and Felicia first had their twins. Is Clem in here? Where's Clem? If you're in here, raise your hand, Clem. I know he's here, but he might be out there working. So when they had their they had their twins, it was I want to say that was it the week after. I want to say it was the week after there. If you you got to know Clem right, oh Felicia's in here right. Felicia's right. She's like this right. So so Clem Clem comes. I kid you not. Clem comes to church right, and he has a baby in his hands, wrapped in a blanket right. And we're thinking to ourselves because she just had these babies a couple of days ago. What what are you doing here? And does Felicia know that you're out of the house with these children by yourself, right? And if you know Clem, you know why that's a a very reasonable question. Again, true story. I'm not embellishing this. Clem was walking up to people. How many people did he get? Oh, look at all the hands. Come on, that's awesome. I had no idea there were that many people. Some of you, right? If you're not close enough to the people that bother you to be bothered by them. (laughs) He was walking up to people saying, could you hold her for a minute? And then dropping her just before they made the pass. There were people screaming in this church and Clem, what's that? Yeah, it was a doll. Yeah, yeah, it was a doll. It was a doll. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was a doll. Sorry. I I thought you've made that leap with us already people are leaving the church. I'm never going back to that. You still might leave the church, right? If you see somebody coming towards you with the name Clem written on the name tag, people are just going to start shaking, right? You understand that in that moment when someone's letting you hold their child, that there's this idea of, a, I'm supposed to take care, right? There, you, you connect with this thought of taking something carefully and that when you fail in that moment, you feel something deep. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? And, and so, so, so this word that, that the Holy Spirit inspires Luke, the writer of Acts who also gave us the gospel of Luke to put in here, he, he says that there were devout people here in Jerusalem. And there were also other people in the crowd. And and I think the Holy Spirit is trying to draw a great contrast between these two groups of people. They all saw the same things. They all heard the same things. They were all in the same place together. They, They all shared in that moment, but they had a completely different reaction to what was taking place. And I think that God's trying to say to us that who we are affects what we see and hear when we step into Kairos moments. Pastor Ron Johnson was here recently. I think he's 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 added to the language of our church. He had that amazing sermon. They talked about the difference between Kairos moments and Chronos moments. That Kairos moments are moments where God steps into natural time, Chronos, right? He steps into natural time and he does something supernatural. It's a Kairos moment. What we see here in Acts chapter two, the the birthing of the of, of the church, but also something being born inside of them. And who you are in those moments, who we are in those moments, when we're surrounded by them, it affects our response. That's why you can leave service like some of us are going to leave here tonight, right, excited about what happened here, excited about how God moved in people's hearts, and it might be, I'm just going to come at you a little bit tonight, it might be that you're going to leave here and go, what were those people so excited about? And if that's you, I'm just going to come at you just a little bit. If you're leaving here, it's not because God needs to change to connect with you, he's saying to you, you've got to change so that you can connect with him. There are times where God and his sovereignty comes to us. I'm not discounting that, right? We, we find it with, with, with Saul on the, on the road to Damascus. There are times where God intervenes supernaturally and comes to get our attention. That's part of my journey and part of my story. But it doesn't mean that there aren't also times where God is saying to you and God is saying to me, you've got to come with something in you if you want to connect with what's happening in the room. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, start reading in verse 18. Listen to what Paul writes. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. I recognize that sometimes we we come into settings like this, and and we come with a brokenness. We come, and it's a filling station for us. And we understand that. We appreciate that. We recognize that. There's times where, where it's everything that you can do just to get here. And all of us have been in times in our lives like that. All of us have been in seasons like that in our life. And if you haven't, it's coming, right? That's part of our journey. It's part of our journey in this life. We call it redemptive affliction. There's times where God calls us to a place of suffering. It's one of the baptisms we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, the four baptisms that the Bible speaks of. But that should not define your reality all of your life. Those are seasons for us, but there are also supposed to be times where you're coming to these together prayer moments ready. There should be times where because of who you've been and what you've done, Monday, Sunday through Saturday, shall we say that, that you can't wait to get here because you're coming full so that you've got something to give when you show up. Whether it's energy, whether it's time, whether it's resources, whether it's something that God spoke to you when you can't wait to find the person to share it with through some providential encounter. Who we are in the room and together at prayer moments, it affects what we see and what we hear. If you find yourself all too often being a person that leaves these kinds of settings and you just can't figure out while everybody else seems to be connecting with something that's happening that you're already always disconnected from, there's a a devotion that you need to get to so that you can be awakened more easily to the presence of God in the room. It's why we believe as a church that there is work to be done, right? I'm trying to get this saying to catch on. I, I, that's one of my challenges in life. I try to create sayings that you then take hold to. I, I, I maybe get one out of a hundred, but, you know, but, but, but one is that we're going to make your soul sweat here at the City Life Church, right? right? Nate and Laura are laughing because they came as that. As the, the things we like to say at the City Life Church was their costume making fun of me, which, I'm, I'm sorry, I got fixed got skin. Come on, I can take it. We, we believe that it, it, there's something to be said for the work that we're supposed to do. There's, there's a work that only God can do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying that we're not totally and utterly dependent upon the power and the Spirit of God at work in our lives, but there is a part that we play. God doesn't read the Bible for you. He doesn't pray for you. Prayers that you're supposed to pray. You're tracking with me? He, he's not giving of your resources on your behalf. He might be. Right, if you're not giving it, he might take it from you. There's a lesson to be learned there. You, You understand what I'm saying? We call them pathways. There's 12 pathways that we teach and talk about as a church. That that As I walk in these 12 pathways, it's a way for me to step into deeper places of devotion. And as I fill my life with these 12 pathways, the things that God says to you and me as we poke at this book and realize the reality of the commands that are are there, Jesus said, right, in, in, in John 14 through 17, which was part of our reading this week, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to do some stuff. And I'm telling you, the more that you give your life to the doing of these pathways, the more enriching these types of settings are going to be for you. Now, you might say, well, that sounds a little bit self-serving. Well, I think God invites us into lots of things in this life because he wants us to enjoy it. I don't think he's in it just for himself. Every time I hear people talking about that, that kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Is it ultimately about his glory? Sure it is, but he's a perfect father and every perfect father is also in it for their children. He wants our hearts to be stirred. He wants us to feel deeply. He wants us to step into moments like this and have our hearts just come alive with the depth of emotion and feeling that he knows is possible because of who he is and who he created you to be and how that you can connect and interact with him. And I'm just coming at you tonight that there is a place of devotion that you need to get up to if you want to see and hear the kinds of things that are taking place in rooms like this every time we gather together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to continue working through these over the next couple of weeks. But as they come and we do the song together, I'm going, to, I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit. Because as we we're reading through the Bible this week, and you, you, you get into to John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and it's a great series of, of chapters in the Bible, there's a place where Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he, and he makes this statement He says, He's with you now, but there's a day that is soon coming where He's going to be in you. He makes a distinction, and it's a powerful distinction. He says to them, hey, he's with you. He's always been with you. He's been here. He's been present. But he looks at them and he says, hey, but there's something that's going to happen. He's going to be inside of you. I'm telling you, these Jewish men, I I, I think that caused them to shake a little bit. Because they understood that the Spirit of God was in one place. And that was the holiest of holies. And only one person could go in there, and that was the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And what Jesus was saying was, they're poking at it, Utan, right? I, I, don't, I don't think this is real. And Jesus is saying, oh, you just wait. He's with you, but soon he's going to be in you. Jesus died to change a preposition. He, he gave his life to make the preposition of that sentence go from with to in. And if you're here tonight, and, and you would say, Fred, I, I have a sense of God being with me, but, but I, I don't know if this in me stuff is for real. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, we like to say you take your first spiritual breath. And so we're going to work through this song together. I'm going to invite you to stand. The band's going to begin to play. There they are. All right. You can stand. Come on. Nobody's standing. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship in this song together. And, and as we worship in this, in, this, in this song together, if you're here tonight and you're saying, when I, Fred, when I look inside, I don't know if God's in there. I don't know if he's in there. There's going to be some people that are on this side, and there are going to be some people that are on this side that are here to pray for you. And when you look back into the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, we want you to find it in this moment. If when you look back into the story of your life, you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, then we're saying you can find it tonight. That you can move from being with to end. When I was 23 years old and I was in Richmond, Virginia in my 1984 Honda Prelude driving down Laburnum Avenue next to Eastgate Mall, you've heard it said many times, I made a vow of devotion to Christ in that moment. And in that moment I took my first spiritual breath and I went from being with Him to Him being in me. And God wants you to wake up every day for the rest of your life having a sense of confidence, knowing that He is in who you are. He's in who you are. Father, we just, we say come and awaken us by the power of your Holy Spirit. By the measure of devotion we have, we bring it into this moment of prayer together as a church. And we say have your way. Jesus, we know that you paid a great price for us. You paid a great price to change the preposition in our lives. And for every person that's here tonight that has never discovered the richness and the beauty and the wonder and the awe of your spirit coming alive in them, that tonight's going to be their night, that this moment is going to be their moment. That, Father, as we sing this song, that they're going to find their way out of their seat. They're going to take some steps. If they're a person that finds themselves, that their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak, that they're going to say to their flesh, oh, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. They're going to find their way to one of these corners of this room tonight. They're going to say a prayer, and they're going to, offer up some supplications, receiving your forgiveness. And they're going to leave here tonight knowing that not only are you with them,
1: but that you were in
0: them and that you would fill them up to overflowing. Let's worship together.
1: Jesus at the center of beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you, you're at the center of it all. On, let's say Jesus be the center of your church. That's us tonight. Come on, say it. Say it. Jesus be the center of your.